Hi, this is presenter Crystal Dinapoli, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Indigenuity, a weekly radio show hosting conversations with Indigenous knowledge holders showcasing all forms of Indigenous ingenuity. Indigenuity is broadcast live on Triple R each Sunday afternoon. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website or Twitter at IndigenuityAU. Before I start, I want to do essentially my weekly reminder of getting you all to pay attention to the lands through which you're traversing. I know for myself, I am finding myself traveling back and forth across Melbourne all the time, passing through the lands of the Boorong people and the Wurundjeri people in which Triple R is now on. And so I do want to pay my respects to uh, Wurundjeri elders past and present and acknowledge their continued connection to these beautiful lands, this beautiful sky country, and of course, our waterways. So uh, we're on to our first guest for today's show. Uh, we're going to be speaking to Corey Tut. Corey Tut is, uh, <laughs> is sort of like a veteran uh, uh, interviewee of uh, Indigenuity. Uh, this will be his third appearance. Corey Tutt is a Gamilaroi man and the founder of Deadly Science, which is an organisation who provides STEM resources to remote schools across Australia. Corey has recently been awarded an Order of Australia medal, as well as being the New South Wales Young Australian of the Year in 2020. Through his leadership, Deadly Science has been able to deliver more than 20,000 books and 500 telescopes to students in remote communities. And today we're here to discuss an exciting collaboration that Deadly Science has made with leading science and technology company Merck, in which they're creating STEM learning kits for students as part of Deadly Science's new program, Deadly Lab. Corey, welcome back to Indigenuity. Yama yama, it's absolutely deadly to be talking to you again, sis. I'm very excited about this. Oh, I'm so it's so wonderful to have you here, brother. I feel like we should give you like a, a coffee punch card so that you can just sort of like punch out every time you're on and hopefully at the fifth one you get some sort of prize. I'm becoming a bit of a regular. I'm hoping that I get my own fan base on here. Maybe <laughs> we can get some uh, some Gamilaray Pride t-shirts made. Uh, no, it's, um, it's perfect to be on this radio show. It's one of my favourite shows, so... Thank you again for having me again. It's um, it's an absolute honour to be on your show. Well, thank you. And I have to say, to start off, um, congratulations on the Order of Australia medal. That's a phenomenal achievement, especially for someone your age. It's it's so young to be uh, recognised for the amount of work that you've been able to do in that time. How do you feel? Oh, look, um, sis, it's a, it's a real credit to people like yourself and, and all the people listening and, and the schools, the communities that everyone that supported Deadly Science because I definitely would not be able to do it without the support. And um, that recognition, I, I sort of um denied over because, you know, there's a bit of imposter syndrome mm-hmm. when it comes to those awards. But I'm very, very happy to receive an honour like that. And it's, um, it's really important because it's a responsibility now that if I can show all the young Deadly fellows and, and ladies out there that, um, you know, they can they can do really great things and inspire them to start their own form of Deadly Science or whatever it is they want to do, then that's that's where the award is going to do its best work. So that's what I want to do with it. I, I do love that your response to a lot of these awards is acknowledging that this is a community effort and it really is just the team behind you and the people who've supported you to be able to do the phenomenal work that you've managed to achieve. So I'm very, very happy for you. It's your win and... Um, I'm so glad to be a part of people who get to platform your voice. Uh, it's an it's an honour. So I wanted oh, to s- look, and it, and it does take a village. You know, it's not it's not um, something that you know. It's, it's really not. Um, yeah, it's not something that's 
done overnight. It's something that it takes so many different people to help out. And, you know, I've had a lot of help from my family and, and friends such as yourself. And, and it's it's been, you know, we've been doing all this stuff for such a long time now that it, it kind of feels a bit weird when you... Um, you win these awards and and it's just it's such a it's such an honor like it's so great oh it's a, it really a, if you could see me now my i have to speak through like the giddiness of the the smile because it, it really has been phenomenal to watch uh where you began and uh where you're at now and what you've been able to do it's it, it yeah it's it's so inspiring to me uh and also oh, it's so deadly thank you so much <laughs> So you've you've got like a really exciting collaboration happening, um, which I feel like just complements all the other resources that you've managed to either produce or be able to direct towards community. I was wondering if you're able to tell us a bit about this collaboration that you have developing with Merck. Yeah, we're um we're actually developed. It's called Deadly Labs, and we're developing these science kits with community, um, with our elders to, to bring back that two way science, but to make science accessible to you know all these different communities out there that. You know, often remote communities can be forgotten about with resources, but we want to create resources with community that can be taken anywhere. Um, so this is really the start of, like, a, a bigger project that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And um, the bigger project that's, that we're hoping to do from this is that we're hoping to make um, a number of kits with remote communities. And also, eventually, I'd love to, um, again, try and build um, communities like so, one of the things I would like to do is I'd like to build STEM kits for juvenile justice centres. So we're actually starting to work on that now, um, which has never really been done before. So we're trying. It's it's such a big project in the sense of we're building we're building things for where resources can be really expensive, but we're trying to make sure that um, no one in Australia can go about STEM. And I think that that's that's the most important thing is making sure that we can provide the opportunities and resources to kids everywhere, no matter what their circumstance. That I, I find that really admirable. Um, I, of course, I don't know, um, I guess the, the level or the lack of access to science in remote areas, but from a rural background from where I came from, I know that I <laughs> did not have access to nearly anything that I know a lot of kids in Melbourne get the chance to study. And so I think it is, it's just so easy for a lot of us folk to be overlooked when it comes to these type of things. So I, that's why I admire your work so much. You really are uh, presi- providing a really essential service to a group of really deserving people. Yeah, look, and it's not a gap in knowledge. It's never a gap in knowledge, yeah. but the gap in resources in, in Australia, because it's so vast, is just it's just massive. And, you know, we can play a role in this space and by really being a champion for young deadly remote Indigenous kids, First Nations kids. And I think that, you know, that's, it's such an honour to be a, you know, to help champion them and, and get them involved in science in so many different ways. And and for us, like, you know, again, I just, I just don't want any community or kids to go about. I just want to create these cool kits that, you know, just really empower the next generation of deadly scientists. So, you know, we can get the next Carly Noon or, or next Crystal or next um, Kirsten Banks or, you know, out of a remote community that because of the opportunities Deadly Science has provided, and that's the goal. That's wonderful. And would you be able to tell us a bit about what these kits contain? Because I know they've got sort of like different themes, right? Yeah, so they've got different themes. So the first one we're working on is um, actually bush soap and breaking down the compounds of bush soap. So 
again, using things like tea tree oil to make bush soap. Um, and these will be coming with videos from the elders in language and, um, and explaining how, how these things are used. So, again, soap is really expensive in remote communities. And if we can, tra- we can train our deadly scientists to make their own soap, um, then it can it can actually find solutions. So a lot of, as you know, as I've spoken about before, a lot of the resources we send to remote communities is not just willy nilly. It's it's very thought out, and they have they all have a practical solution. So sending a soap kit is really important for deadly science because we want to train our young people in how to make soap so they can keep their hands clean and they can um, they can learn how the cool chemistry that goes into making soap. That's beautiful. So it's very, uh, you know, there's a lot of learning there and also a very practical, useful application, which uh, really just sounds perfect. Um, is this like a similar theme with each of the kits? Are you incorporating uh, Indigenous knowledge um, into, I guess, into each kit as well? Because it seems to be that's a good focus oh, yeah. of the first. Most definitely that's what we're going to be doing because it's really important to have the two-way science you know, our people are the first scientists. We have 65,000 years plus of science and um, and our elders are the professors and, and if they can help us design the kids, then we can get that First Nations element but we can also get the the other side of it as well and, and understanding how things work so we can keep those knowledges alive but also explain them a bit better. Um, and I think that the, it's really exciting because we're doing some engineering ones as well. We're going to be getting kids to think about all different sorts of solutions and I think that that's that's the best part about STEM is that being able to create and being able to, you know, solve problems by creating and designing and, and thinking of different solutions for problems. So, like, I'm just really excited about it. I'm pumped. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it definitely sounds exciting. And so uh, are you able to give us a, a bit of a peek into the range of topics you're exploring? You've given sort of like a, uh, I guess, like a, the chemistry sort of behind the soap um, example. We have some engineering topics. Is there any other sort of insider tips that you can give us or inside knowledge about what these kits will be delivering? Yeah, so we're, um, we're looking at engineering. We're looking at, um, we're looking at chemistry. We're looking at forensic science. We're looking at all those. And those kits haven't been designed yet. We've only really just started designing the bush slope one um, and the engineering one will be the one after that. Excellent. And I, like I hear there's also an opportunity for interested folk to participate in an internship um, education program for emerging Indigenous science communicators, which would eventually sort of lead to them, or at least the goal is for, to lead to them joining the deadly science team. Are you able to tell us a yeah, bit about that? Yeah, most definitely. So, you know, for me as the founder and CEO, I'm constantly looking at ways to build deadly science for the next generation because, you know, for me, success is deadly science existing and growing and um, making myself redundant so that the next generation of deadly scientists can take deadly science to the next level. And, you know, that's that's where I want to build deadly science to be because I think that that's really important so that, you know, young deadly scientists that are coming through can help inspire the next generation and bring their new ideas into deadly science, um, you know, and, and everyone has a shelf life. And I think that for me, it's really important to bring young deadly blackfellas through um, so they can be part of the future, especially this organisation, because in a perfect world, deadly science doesn't exist because we don't need a deadly science. But at the meantime, the, we do. And... You know, there's so many great kids out there with so many cool ideas. Like, I spoke to a, a kid today 
who was really keen on um, fixing motorcycles, and I explained to him that most vehicles have a computer, and it just blew his mind. He's like, I want to work on computers now. Um, and, you know, there's those kind of people that, you know, I have those stories all the time, and I just think, you know, what the right the right stuff, maybe these kids can lead deadly science into the future, and that's, that's the goal, is, is building the pathways and opening up the opportunities so that one day deadly science can be led by our, our deadly science and the deadly scientists in the present, and we'll see how we go. Beautiful. And so, if there are any uh, deadly young scientists out there listening to this interview now, how would they be able to find out about this internship opportunity? Uh, so, so we can um, we can base. Sorry, what was that? I didn't hear that properly. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, just uh, essentially, how can people find out about this internship opportunity if they want to apply? Um, so they can um, they can get contacts through the website and they can basically fill out the contact form and then we can get involved. Perfect. That well, way. It's deadly. Awesome. All right. Well, Corey, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on all your achievements. Uh, and, yeah, no, it's a pleasure to see uh, all the beautiful work you're doing. Uh, thank you so much for having me and it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. See ya. So we're just speaking with Corey Tutt. Corey Tutt is a Gamilaroi man and the founder of Deadly Science. And we're just having a little bit of a chat about um, a really cool collaboration uh, Deadly Science has with a science and technology company called Merck, in which they're creating these Indigenous science STEM kits that will be sent out to remote schools to engage our deadly young scientists in the area of STEM. And it sounds very practical and very grounded in Indigenous cultural knowledge. Uh, So I look forward to seeing how that develops and wish Corey all the best with that endeavour. So now we are heading towards our second interview for today. We're going to be speaking to Bill Code. Bill Code is a documentary maker and head of Wedgetail Pictures. Bill is the director of a documentary that was released this year called The Lake of Scars, which features Uncle Jack Charles, which is always a treat. The Lake of Scars explores the history and resilience of Jajawurrung country with a focus on the community's fight for sacred scar trees to be preserved, for middens and stone scatters to be protected and recognised, for environmental flows of water to be allowed into the seasonal lake, and for a keeping place to be built. The film is a call to action to preserve and mark similar scarred tree sites right across the country, The Lake of Scars will have a a number of screenings actually coming up uh, across Australia over NADOC week, with its next local screening occurring next Sunday, July 3rd, on Jajaburung Country at the Castle, Maine Documentary Festival. Bill, welcome to Indigenuity. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, Thank you so much for creating this documentary. I really enjoyed it. Great. I'm glad I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to make. As you said, Uncle Jack Charles was involved in all sorts of other great characters who um who shared their time and their knowledge, so it was a real pleasure. Would you be able to dive a bit like uh, deeper, I guess, than what I, I just said, about what are the issues that the Lake of Scars seeks to address? Well look, um when we started making The Lake of Scars, it was really a film about uh, bringing to awareness um Scar trees and artifacts. Lake Port uh, on Jajawaran country outside Bendigo is Australia's biggest collection of scar trees. And like scar trees across the country, um, they're they're under threat from a from a range of things. But it became over the years that we were making it not just a film about scar trees. It became a film about about allyship and reconciliation. Um, it obviously um, at its core because it's made at Lake Port on a, on a series of 
what are called ephemeral lakes, which are sometimes wet and sometimes dry. It became a film about water use, which is an issue close to my heart, um, you know, about, about making sure that wetlands receive the flows they need, you know, the red gums, which, you know, you see along Australia's rivers and lakes, they need regular floodings, and obviously they're competing with, with other human uses, such as agriculture, for that water. Mm. And so it was really a film which interweaves all these issues and, you know, what we did was to, to, to get Uncle Charles in, the, in that sort of hosting role. He sits in the cinema with you and sort of explains the film from his point of view. And we did that in a kind of, in a live way. So Jack was really reacting to what he saw on screen. Um, and, you know, it was important. You know, we'd work very collaboratively with not just the Young Balug clan of the Jar Jar but Jar Jar Corp or, or Jar, as they're known now, supported the film as well as the Victorian Aboriginal Heritage Council. And, you know, right at the end there, when we were doing that sort of hosting role, we really wanted to give um, a Jar Jar elder that sort of final say on matters. And, you know, he's an absolute star and a professional, so he was funny and informative as well in, in, the, in that final role. So... Yeah, hopefully it all comes together. Uh, it, it, you've done a wonderful job. I actually really love that touch of feeling like I'm in the cinema with Uncle Jack Charles and he's giving yeah. me his sort of takes on what is a really fascinating story. I love that you highlighted the themes of like allyship and reconciliation that emerged because, I mean, I don't want to spoil too much of the documentary, I guess, but I found that fascinating. And I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about like what maybe what you learned from um, witnessing that type of dynamic. I guess what I learned, maybe it's something, you know, that that I that I felt before, but maybe I learned it more solidly. Is that, you know, for for non-Aboriginal Australians like myself, that, you know, there's really no work to be done in in the environmental space, you know, out on country, without involving First Nations people. Um, it's just it's just not the way to go. And so I really was inspired by. Um, Paul Hall, the, the white farmer in the film, the white former farmer, and his wife, Kathy, who really have, have, you know, steadfastly over the years worked really closely with members of the clan to, to make sure that, you know, in their absence a lot of the time, as they don't necessarily live near that town board anymore, they're, 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 they're scattered across the state, that in their absence um, that they can work with them to make sure their views are, are represented locally. Um, and... You know, I thought that was a really touching story because some of the characters in the film are quite different at first glance, you know, whether not just because some are Aboriginal and some are non-Aboriginal, but, you know, they might have different political views or, you know, really different upbringings. But I think they agree on the key points. You know, they agree the, the things that they believe on the big issues of, you know, caring for country and, and heritage ultimately are much are much bigger than the, the things that really divide them. So, yeah. you know, it might sound corny, but at the end of the day, despite the differences in the film, I was really happy to show that story of, of reconciliation. But importantly, that it's not easy. You know, there are fallings out, and, and it's not, you know, for all of us as a nation, if we want to strive for, for reconciliation, then, you know, especially non-Aboriginal people, I think, have to have to realise that it's it's not going to be an overnight thing, that there's tough work to be done, but that it's ultimately um, really worth it. 
Yeah, I, I, I really agree with that. I, I thought that was what was sort of refreshing about your documentary to see um, the, the portrayal of how reconciliation is actually not as simple and can be quite tough and requires a lot of um, uh, understanding. I guess on both sides. Um, so I, I, yeah, I, I thought it was uh, really yeah. refreshing and it was fascinating to watch all these people who, as you said, come from very different walks of life, but are all really united on this one issue. Or like I say, one issue, but clearly it's a, it's a matter of issues that are happening on Jaja Wurrung country, um, not just That's the scar right. trees, but the waters as well. And it's hard to separate issues as well when you think about it. You know, as I say, it wasn't going to just be a film about about scar trees, it's impossible to talk about, you know, one issue without bringing in, you know, the water and the heritage and, and the, the questions of reconciliation. So, you know, it could have been a shorter film, I suppose, if it was just about those little issues. But but weaving it all in, it was obviously going to be a feature length, a feature length project. And um, yeah, just really glad that it's that it's getting a cinema run for us. It was always going to be an important educational film. You know, we wanted to get into schools and universities and things like that and have that impact in that space. And we will in the coming year. Um, but it's it's you know to have it running in in select cinemas in in many states is just really great it's my first feature film so you know i'm, I'm really grateful to everyone okay. um can, you know yeah. everyone who helped out definitely and congratulations you can tell that it's it's just um you've done so well and also the team effort behind it has it's just um you can you can really see uh the time and consideration that went into representing this type of a story um there was one point there was one point that I I found a bit shocking um where uh you know we're looking at these beautiful sites and talking about some of the issues they face and uh one of the things you see is how um some local people had been doing burnouts in their car over these cultural sites. So I was wondering if you could tell um like our listeners a little bit about what are some of those issues that are happening on those sites and what they're hoping to um to uh for what what they're hoping for the outcome to be in order to fix it. Um yeah well look I think one of those, you know, there is a scene where where some local kids have come into the lake and done burnouts on a on a on a stone scatter, obviously a significant heritage site. But I think with a lot of these things, you know, I think that was most likely an issue of ignorance as opposed to malice. And I think yeah. this is part of the problem when it comes to preserving scar trees. You know, you may have a, a farmer who wants to cut down what what he or she sees as an old tree. There there may obviously be some who, who, who might deliberately damage Aboriginal sites, but there are also those who who might have no idea what a scar tree is and, and down it goes. And so I think that's part of the problem that um there is just that ignorance out there. And so, you know, I hope we can have a little bit more impact and, and really raise raise awareness of of, you know, what are some really quite majestic scar trees in the landscapes. As well as, you know, the middens and the stone scatters that pop up in the film. Yeah, absolutely. I think your film is, um, it's the perfect resource to make sure that that, uh, we can fix that lack of education there. Um, I hope so. I I, I think you'll do it. I've I've learned a lot um, through watching it. And I do recommend anyone who has the chance over NADOC week and also following months to try and uh, get a viewing of Lake of Scars. Uh, If you go to the website, it's www.com lake of scars film in one word dot com slash screenings you can actually find out where 
all the locations of the screenings are happening right across Australia. And the next one that's uh, in Victoria, at least, is on Jajawarung Country this Sunday, July 3rd, so next week, um, at the Castlemaine Documentary Festival. So I, I do encourage any listeners, if you have the chance, to uh, take a trip down to beautiful Jajawarung Country and learn a lot more about what uh, some of the issues that are impacting that beautiful landscape there. Uh, this is the documentary to see. Yeah, thank you. And we've got uh, Uncle Jack will be in attendance at uh, Castle Main Dog Fest, as well as myself and Nagara Murray, our cultural advisor, on a panel afterwards. So, yeah, lots of screenings happening across Vic, actually, in the next two or three weeks. Um, but the Castle Main Dog Fest should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I saw um, some of the other locations. We have Swan Hill on July 7th, as well as in Kyneton, Bright and Healesville. And Bright's up sort of where I come from, so I, I love that people oh, uh, in my country can country. see it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, as well as um, Bendigo and then Board itself. So quite a few, quite a few in Vic, which we're really pleased about. Well, uh, Bill, thank you so much for your time. Uh, congratulations on this uh, a, a wonderful work, and um, I wish all the best with uh, the screenings over NADOC. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. So we've just been speaking to Bill Code, who is a docu- documentary maker and the head of Wedgetail Pictures, about a documentary that they've created called uh, The Lake of Scars, and it explores a lot of... Uh, Issues that Jar Jar Country are facing in relation to their scar trees, some of the, the lakes and the flows of water which are being disrupted, and also the disturbance of cultural sites. So there are a number of screenings right across Victoria and also the rest of the country. So uh, I would encourage you to look up Lakes, Lake of Scars film, look up the screenings and find a place that you can uh, give it a watch because I've, I've seen it. It's, it's fantastic and I do recommend it. But on that note, uh, we will be signing off for the week. So thank you so much. Thank you to our guests for today. We had Corey Tutt and Bill Code, and we will see you back next week with another fantastic guest. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Indigenuity, a weekly radio show hosting conversations with Indigenous knowledge holders, showcasing all forms of Indigenous ingenuity. Indigenuity is broadcast live on Triple R every Sunday afternoon. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website or Twitter at IndigenuityAU.